We'll just read the first 10 verses there. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh dishonour unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us as we study his word today. Father, we thank you for this time that we have. Thank you for the, uh, the great uh, hymns of faith that we've been able to sing today. And Lord, it's, it's such a blessing to be able to do that. And uh, Lord, we just do thank you for uh, this opportunity to come here, uh, to open your word, and Lord, to, to read from it in our own language, uh, to be able to easily understand it. Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to... Uh, to teach and Lord we, we just do pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us uh, today uh, Lord that there'd be no hindrance to his ministry in our hearts Lord I pray that we'd be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ as we, uh, as we hear these things and Lord that you'd help us to uh, be able to put them into practice as well and Father we thank you for this time in Jesus name Amen So as we enter chapter 5 of Hebrews uh, which deals with some very heavy doctrine, uh, it's, it's important that we take a moment and recall the historical context of this epistle. Uh, it was written in the early to mid-60s AD, which was an extremely turbulent time in the history of Israel, and therefore of the people to whom this letter was originally written. The persecution of Christians under the Roman Emperor Nero was intensifying at this time that this uh, letter was written. Culminating in the execution of the Apostle Paul in about 65 AD. So this was a time that these Christians were living in. Turbulent times, stressful times, unstable times. Israel itself was a hotbed of political instability with uh, Jewish zealots increasing their activity and the nation heading toward rebellion against the Roman rule, culminating in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. If you know anything about that period of history and that that war that went on in about 70 AD, you know that it was a horrific time, something that we won't ever witness in our lifetimes. Hebrew believers were caught in in the middle of all this. Persecuted by the Romans for their Christian faith, and pulled towards Judaism by their countrymen, 
these Hebrew believers uh, who did not support the Jewish rebellion were seen as traitors. And so these people to whom this letter was written were strongly tempted to let go of their Christian faith and to return to their Jewish heritage and tradition. We get a sense of their suffering and the strong pull away from Christ, but it's, it's only a glimpse of the true nature of their predicament. It was far worse than any of us will ever experience in this country um, and in our time. Because of this, the epistle to the Hebrews systematically dismantles the things that stood between the Lord Jesus Christ and the believer. Now, we've talked about the superiority of Christ to the angels um, in in the first chapter there. Uh, His superiority to Moses, to Joshua. And now when we get to chapter 5, his superiority to Aaron, the priest. The primacy of the Lord Jesus Christ over all things is the overarching theme of Hebrews. There is to be nothing between the believer, the believer and the saviour, not even our most cherished beliefs, uh, which for the Hebrew Christians, of course, was their, their culture, uh, the religion from which they came. So I just wanted to quickly introduce the, the historical context, where we're at in the book of Hebrews, uh, just to remind us. And so we come to the first point, a high priest for men. In verses 1 and 2 it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. The first two chapters of uh, Hebrews chapter 5, sorry, the first two verses there, we see the qualifications and duties of the high priest summarised for us. Now I don't want to go into too much detail here uh, about the, the topic of the priests of Israel. Some of you have probably read books about this. Um, and it's really a, 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 it's too large to handle in this, in this short time. And also, I don't want to lose the primary teaching of this passage. Um, but, but just quickly, a, a high priest was ordained or appointed by someone with higher authority. We see that in Leviticus 21, verse 10. It says, And he that is a high priest amongst his brethren, among whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garment, shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. So this, this high priest was, was anointed. He was specially ordained for this task. The high priest was not just any person who woke up and decided one day to be a high priest. Okay, this person was carefully chosen from the line of Aaron and then consecrated or set apart for that duty. It was not a part-time job. It was not something that he did just on the weekends uh, or, or when he had a chance. No, this, this was a full-time ministry set apart for God for his uh, whole life. And I think that, that that's a good teaching moment for our own priesthood. Uh, we know that we're all kings and priests in the New Testament. All believers are, uh, are consecrated to serve God. We are to serve him full time. It's not just on Sundays or when you have ministry on. It's every day of the week, 24 hours a day that we're set apart for God. Next we see that the high priest in Israel offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. He did this on behalf of the people. 
I think most of us know roughly how this system worked. If you committed a sin in the Old Testament, uh, you would bring an animal. Depending on the sin, there was a whole system uh, built around this. And you, you gave it to the priests who, who killed it and burned it on the altar. In a nutshell, that's, that's pretty much how it worked. Now, now this sacrificial system is, is different to the pagan systems of animal sacrifices that went on around the same time. Uh, we, might, we might think that they were similar or that you know, the, there is some superficial similarities there. But without going into too much detail, again, the pagan idea was that the gods, um, the pagan gods represented by an idol, were angry at the people. Okay, so that they were angry and, and you know, there, was, there might have been some famine, a flood, you know, a drought. Um, and so the people thought, oh, the gods are angry at us. Um, but they didn't know why. Okay, they just knew that there was something wrong with their relationship with, with their god. To appease their anger, a sacrifice was made until the, sto- the gods stopped being angry and things returned back to normal. Until the next time something went awry in their lives. So you can understand that this was a... You weren't sure what happened. You just tried to appease the gods in, a, in the pagan culture. And you just, you just did this because that's what you did. But in Israel, that was, it was a very different system to that. There were very detailed rules and laws about how God wanted them to live their lives. If they broke one of those laws, they would have to offer sacrifices to God appealing to his mercy. Now God allowed them to substitute an animal sacrifice in place of themselves. Okay, that's an important concept for us to understand about the sacrifice system in the Old Testament. That animal was a substitute for them. They should have been the ones dying for their sins. Okay, God should have been just wiping them out as soon as they sinned, but no, he allowed them to offer a substitute. And God allowed this because he loved the people. And with the sacrificial system, his love and his mercy were demonstrated without compromising his justice. This system also would have given the people a sense of accountability for their sins, which is important. Imagine having to bring a sacrifice to the priests, who you knew, you know, you'd see them, you know, they were part of your community. So you knew these people, they weren't just strangers. You had to bring like a, a dove or whatever, whatever it was, a bullock, a goat, sheep, publicly, in front of your friends and family, you had to bring this animal to the priest. So everyone knew that you had sinned. <laughs> there, was, there was no keeping secrets there in Israel. The shame and dishonour that you would feel, as well as being sorry that an animal had to die just because you committed a sin. Yet at the same time, the relief, the burden that was removed as that animal's blood was shed in your place. Knowing that God looked upon that sacrifice and was pleased. And yet we know that that sin was not removed, only atoned for. It was, it was covered there in the Old Testament. Until the one great sacrifice was made. The Lamb of God must shed his blood for the sins of the world. So those Old Testament sacrifices looked forward to the ultimate sacrifice, didn't they? 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now fast forward to today, where in this church age we are a royal priesthood, it says in the Bible. Every believer is made a priest and the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. All of our sins are washed away by his blood and yet it remains part of our priesthood to confess our sins daily to our great high priest. Hey, we do not have to bring an animal sacrifice publicly in front of our friends and family like they did in the Old Testament. Uh, But still, we must be diligent in bringing our sins before our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And although this is much easier than Old Testament times, uh, we can do it privately, uh, we can do it immediately, so we don't have to wait till the next time we go to the temple. We don't have to buy an animal. We, don't, we can just confess our sins straight away. As soon as we've realised that we've sinned, we can confess our sin and bring it before our great high priest. It's much easier than in the Old Testament times. The fact that we must be reminded constantly to do this shows that our hearts are prone to wander away from the Lord. I know that for me, it's a, it's a constant battle. We, we need to be reminded to do this. To confess our sins daily before the Lord. We see that the role of the high priest in Israel was to offer sacrifices for sins, yet also to be compassionate for those he was helping. Uh, verse 2 in Hebrews chapter 5 says, Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. The Greek word uh, here is not the usual word for compassion, but has the added meaning of moderation and objectivity. The, the, the priest here was to moderate his feelings, his natural feelings of disgust and impatience for those who brought their sacrifices before him. Now you can imagine as a, as a human being, um, you know, your, your old time friend, someone who you've seen, again he brings a, a sheep to you to be sacrificed for his And you know that. And so you feel disgust. Like, why, why, why has this man sinned again? He's sinned so many times. Every time he, he falls into the same sin, you, you know what he's doing. So the high priest was to moderate his natural feelings of disgust and impatience. And this reminds us of the compassion of God when we sin. God is merciful and just. Uh, We need not to be afraid to come to him. The Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He understands our weaknesses and our failure. As we have already seen in Hebrews, his eternal humanity means that he still has compassion on us in, that, in the very fullest sense of the word as well. He suffered temptation and the feelings of our infirmity, as we read in chapter 4. He remembers what it was like to be human, even in his glorified state right now. And so when we come to him with our sins, and when we confess our sins to our great high priest, we should not expect judgment and frustration from him even though we may deserve it, because we've sinned over and over and over again. No, he has compassion. 
Okay, he, he doesn't get impatient with us. Our great high priest is compassionate to us. It's also a good reminder that we ought to be compassionate on others when they sin, knowing that they are just as weak as we are. We can be tempted to, to think that we're better than someone else. Uh, we, can, we can be tempted to think that um, this person is weaker than us just because their struggle is different or more obvious than our struggle. Um, but this verse reminds us that we need to be compassionate to those who sin. The old saying, uh, there but for the grace of God go I, um, is, is a good, good saying to have, isn't it? When we look at someone, we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel that, that natural feeling of, of uh, repulsion towards them. No, we should, we should feel that there but for the grace of God go I. That could be me sinning right now. And the reason why the high priest had to be compassionate to sinners was simply because he was a sinner too. The end of verse 2 says that he was compassed with infirmity. The high priest in Israel was a sinner. He was, he was compassed. He was surrounded like a chain with moral weakness, a propensity to sin, just like everyone else. And this weakness, this infirmity that's talking about here, it's not sinful itself. But, but, but we must be aware that our very nature, our flesh, is weak and prone to sin. Brethren, there is still a bent towards sin within us as Christians. I don't think, I have to, I don't think that's news to any of us here, is it? We are still prone to sinning. However, now we have the Holy Spirit living within us to help to counteract the flesh. And that's a great advantage that we have. Something that we need to uh, remember all the time. And so we come to our second point, a fallible high priest. So the high priest in Israel was fallible. He was uh, a sinful man. And the author of Hebrews points out that the high priests under the dispensation of the law had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as those for the people. Hebrews 5.3 says, And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. Um, got there in your Bibles, uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 16. If you want to quickly turn there, please, because um, this, is, this is quite an important passage. Leviticus uh, 16. And there it is, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. This passage is about uh, the Day of Atonement. Uh, Leviticus 16, 1-6 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. 
Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering, excuse me, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two goats, uh, sorry, two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. So the first thing that the high priest had to do was to offer a sacrifice for himself. Um, before anything else, uh, before he, he could offer uh, sacrifices for the people on that, on that day, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself. And, and that sacrifice had to be accepted. Okay? If that didn't happen, then the whole thing was, was null and void. Um, the fallibility of the high priest in the dispensation of the law pointed to a greater high priest that would come. Uh, and, and we read this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So the, the fact that the, the high priest in the Old Testament was sinful... It was kind of a reminder in the Old Testament that there would be someone greater than that coming. And so we have that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord Jesus Christ we have a high priest that doesn't need to offer a sacrifice for his own sin because he never sinned. He was perfect. He was sinless. And, and this whole situation that we see that the Old Testament priest was, uh, was fallible um, and that the fact that we have a, a perfect high priest, a great high priest, it reminds us not to put our trust in fallible men, doesn't it? Lately we have seen some very public failures among men who were well known in ministry. Uh, this, this, this hasn't been the first time that this has happened. It certainly won't be the last time, unfortunately. And while this is uh, very discouraging and disturbing, it should not surprise us. Men in the ministry are not immune to the weaknesses that surround us, which is why we ought not to put our trust in men. This is the point of these verses in Hebrews here that we're looking at, Hebrews 5 verses 3 and 4. Uh, it is easy to get discouraged and to let the failures of Christian leaders affect our faith. That's, it's easy for that to do. I, I've felt that in my life. Uh, someone who you've looked up to. Uh, you've got all their books, you've listened to their sermons, and then all this stuff comes out. It's discouraging. It's, it's very disturbing to, to hear that. And yet... It should not surprise us because they're, they're sinners just like the rest of us. And we can sit here and we can judge them. However, this passage in Hebrews also reminds us that spiritual leaders um, that are supposed to help us and teach us are just sinful men. And while this does not excuse the failures of Christian leaders, 
And obviously a moral failure must result in disqualification from public ministry. We must also remember to have compassion on these people. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Someone who's publicly fallen, who has let everyone down, and yet we're supposed to have compassion on them and to to pray for their repentance. But we are to remember that we're no better than them. Turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians and chapter 10. And this is a good passage for us to meditate upon because uh, it also talks about the Old Testament believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'll read the, uh, from verse 1 to verse 13. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon upon whom the ends of the world are come. And here's the verse that we should should have in our minds. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that, we, that you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. We have to be careful, brethren, um, that we don't think that we're better than other people who fall. Uh, we are just as prone, and uh, we need to be on our guard uh, all the more when we see these public uh, failures of men in ministry. These Hebrew Christians that the epistle was written were, were, were tempted to follow the high priest. Uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure who the high priest was at, at the time, in, uh, in that time period. But they were tempted to follow him. I'm sure he was a very charismatic fellow. Um, and I'm sure he was mixed in with, with all the politics of the day. And he got lots of people to come along with him. And so they wanted to follow this figure. And the author of Hebrews reminds them that the human high priest is fallible. Okay, he's a sinful man. Christ, however, was without sin and, is, and therefore is superior to the high priests of the Old Testament. And so he's saying in Hebrews that instead of following this fallible human high priest, they ought to be focused on Christ alone. Christ is superior to Aaron. And so we come to point three, Christ appointed by God. 
Now I've got some uh, figures there in your outline. Um, first point there is uh, a date to watch. Um, that date is the 22nd of July 2028 at precisely 15.01, that's the 3.01pm. It's a date that I am looking forward to. Now if the Lord tarries uh, in seven years, we will have front row seats right here in New South Wales to one of the most spectacular sights in nature. A total solar eclipse. Now some of you probably saw that date and you already knew what I was going to talk about. But at precisely 3.01pm in, uh, in the afternoon on that day, and it's, it's actually going to go right over Sydney. Okay, so we'll probably have a good view here in Lismore, but if you want to get a better view, go to Sydney or around there. At precisely 3.01, the moon will completely cover the sun, resulting in total darkness for about three minutes. And so I'm, I'm going to uh, put my annual leave in for that day and uh, make sure that I don't have to go to work or anything and I'm going to try and have a, a front row seat to that event. A total solar eclipse is amazing, not just because it looks cool, but more so because of the maths behind it. Now I've got some other figures there. The, the sun, so distance from the earth to the sun is 149 million kilometres. And the distance of uh, the earth to the moon is uh, three. 184,000 kilometres from the Earth. Okay, if you, if you do the maths there, you can check my maths, but it's about 400 times the distance okay, from, uh, from the moon, the, the Earth to the moon from, to the Earth to the Sun. Okay, it's 400 times greater. Now, the distance uh, from, uh, uh, sorry, the diameter of the Sun is, is there, written there as well. 1,392,700 kilometres. So that's how wide it is. That's how wide the sun is. We, we can't even imagine that distance. <laughs> that's how wide the sun is. While the moon is only 3,474 kilometres wide. Now again, if you do the maths, it's, it's also 400 times uh, greater. So the, the sun is 400 times bigger than the moon in diameter. And so what this means is that when you look up at the when you look up in the sky, the sun and the moon look about the same size. Okay, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It's, it's, to me, that's, that's amazing coincidence um, that that would happen. Okay, that God would make this so that when we look up at the sky, the sun and the moon look about the same. Okay, most of the time. Now, I won't go into detail about the elliptical orbits of the moon and the earth, but to summarise... This amazing natural phenomenon, the, the total solar eclipse, is only possible because of the apparent size of the sun and the moon to us observers on Earth. So what happens when a total solar eclipse happens is that the Earth, the moon and the sun are in perfect alignment. And that only happens rarely because of those elliptical orbits as well. It only happens once in a, in, in a few years. And that perfect alignment is called a, a syzygy. I've got that word there. Um, and I like how people make up words for things. <laughs> the, you know, you could just say, oh, there's a perfect alignment of the planets. No, no, just, you can correct them and say, no, that's a syzygy. Okay. And when that happens, you get this total solar eclipse. 
our view of the sun is completely obscured by the moon. Why? Because they're about the same size. So the moon comes and it covers the sun perfectly and that's why everything goes dark. And not, not only does this uh, look spectacular, I mean it's just, I've seen it only on you know, videos and things like that. I, I, I really want to see one in person. It's, it doesn't only look spectacular but it's led to some important scientific discoveries. And what's even more amazing is that our planet appears to be one of the few known planets where this occurs in the known universe. And of course, this is also the only planet that has habitable, uh, it's only the only habitable planet with intelligent life. Uh, to the atheists, and, and I've read a few websites about this, you know, they're all stunned. What, what an amazing coincidence that this would be. That the only planet with uh, that's habitable, that has intelligent life on it, that we know of, this, this phenomenon also happens to be uh, something that regularly happens. What, what an amazing coincidence that we can... It's, it's one in a trillion cosmic accident. But of course to us as believers it's a great reminder that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. For us it's not a coincidence that God has allowed this to happen because we can look up at the sky and we can glorify God that he's made an amazing universe for us to enjoy. And while I was meditating upon this, I thought this is also a great illustration for the point that's been made in Hebrews 5. The Hebrew believers were struggling because their view of the Son of God was obscured by lesser things. In this case, the author of Hebrews is talking about the human high priest of Israel. So just as in a total solar eclipse, the sun is obscured by the moon, resulting in, spiritual dark, in, in complete darkness, so too as believers, if our view of the sun is obscured by something lesser than the Lord Jesus Christ, it results in our spiritual darkness. The author of Hebrews reminds them that the human high priest is just a man. He is sinful he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for theirs. The Son of God, on the other hand, is sinless and yet compassionate because he was made flesh and underwent the same temptations that we endure. Brethren, we can also allow lesser things to obscure our view of the Son of God. You know, we, we may not have a high priest. Um, like the, the Jewish believers there did. But other people can take, our place of, can take the place of Christ in our lives. Other people, other things. You know, we can get so caught up in our work that we forget about the Lord Jesus. We can have a hobby that takes up so much time that we forget about him. Uh, we, can, we can enjoy travel, houses, cars, so many things that we have in this world that can take the place of the Lord Jesus Christ, that can obscure the light that comes from him. I was just meditating on this and um, I think I'm probably not alone in this, but for the last, in the last 12 months, uh, circumstances have exposed certain things that have ex obscured our view of the Son of God, haven't they? Um, and, and spiritually, it's, it's difficult, I think, until some difficult circumstances come along, sometimes it's difficult to see what's obscuring our, our view of Christ. 
But this, uh, this whole situation with COVID certainly has taken away some of the things that were making us comfortable. Uh, it has uh, changed our habits, hasn't it? It has made us reevaluate things. Uh, it has frustrated us in a lot of ways. But I think if you look at it this way, that some of the things that have obscured our view of Christ have been taken away from us, then that's a positive. And Christ alone is to be our great high priest because God has ordained him. Hebrews 5 verse 5 says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. God himself put the Lord Jesus Christ in that place of prominence. Just as the Aaronic priests were called by God, so too Jesus was called by God to a greater priesthood that superseded the high priests of Israel. By virtue of his sonship, and that's what's in view here in verse 5, he's the son of God. And all that, that, that whole doctrine means to us, that he's the son of God, the only begotten son, he was ordained to be our great high priest. No more Aaronic priests are necessary uh, to bring the people before God. We can now come to our great high priest directly. Okay, we, don't, we don't need a human mediator to come before God. and the, the, the Bible is very clear on this. Jesus Christ is our only mediator. We can come to him directly. And so we must ask ourselves this question. Is the Lord Jesus Christ the great high priest in our life? Or has a lesser thing obscured your view of the Son. Amen.